Um, let, let's start on the lowest possible rung, which is clubhouse women. Yesterday, I saw announcements from Anu and Nina and um, Arthi, and there's one more women, woman. Um, NPR. Yeah, who left Clubhouse. Right. And I, I'm not saying no men left, but I'm totally curious why um, why all the why all all the um, women left, and I just think that it has something to do with changes that are coming in Clubhouse and the app. Well, and I know I was wondering about the same thing, but if you think about it, all the women were the front end of the whole Clubhouse, right? They were the social people. They were the ones who actually interacted with the communities too. So those are the ones who we knew about. We don't know of any men who came into rooms and did anything for us, right? Can you, can, can you, I just got in. Can you tell me exactly what you're talking about? Oh, sure. Four the, women left, at I, least four women left Clubhouse yesterday. Um, the, 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 she's mentioning the leaders in the, uh, in the front line of Clubhouse. Uh, I guess they're. Anu, Nina, um, Arthi. Arthi and who came in? Just the three. Just sorry. Those are the three. Sorry. Oh, yeah. No, I'm but, pretty sure there was a fourth one. M- NPR? Sorry, that's. Um, that's Nina. Nina, right. Yeah. Wait, let's let Guda speak because, um, first of all, Guda wants to talk about this, I'm sure. And second, she wants to talk about women in education. Before we go down the rabbit hole on Sheryl Sandberg and and Amber Heard, so to give the people what we said we would give them, Gouda, why don't you set us up uh, and repeat what you told me before everybody got on about um, the first woman to get a law degree. Yeah, Bettisa Gozandini. She was an Italian noble woman, right, in Bologna, and she graduated in 2039 from the University of Bologna, and she became a lecturer as well those days, right? Wait, 2039 hasn't Sorry, pardon, 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 1,000. 239, 1239. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like we resist to go that far. <laughs> but uh, the whole thing is because of that, she was not married. Oh, seriously? No. Yes, she was not married material. Smart. Educated women were not marriage material. They were exception, right? And a lot of them were actually sent to the convents. That is interesting. No, you couldn't be married and smart. No, 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 no. Okay, so I have to tell you, 
Francine, your connection keeps cutting off. Um, my father was asking me whether I would take typing and shorthand. I know nobody in this room knows even what typing and shorthand are. But that was what women did at the time that I graduated from high school. Their major goal was to become a secretary for which you needed typing and shorthand. And I never wanted to take typing in shorthand. And my father said to me, well, I'll send you to college, but what you have to understand is that the more education you get, the less you will be able to get married. And so I proved him wrong by getting married five times after I got a PhD. And I have a feeling that I only got married five times because my father had said no man would ever marry me. But that attitude toward educated women goes back pretty far and goes forward pretty far. And unfortunately continues nowadays in many places and many countries. You know, well, I want to... Talk I remember my mother told me, Dr. Francine, in 1980s, when I decided that I was going to do journalism, that that wasn't a profession for women because I would be too much well-informed and no man would marry me and why I wouldn't do literature. I do, I do think, this is Barbara speaking, I do think we have made progress in different lenses in the world and Scandinavia, where I'm from, but I just have right now that looks at graduates in the Americas from 1990. United States, 56% of women graduated in university in 2020-61. Canada, 53. 52% in 2020, 53 and 20. And Brazil in 1990, 53 and now 57. And it goes on and on and on. So, okay, so does that mean half the women, wait, half the women who started in college graduated or half the no, population in, of the of, country in comparison graduated? To, in comparison to men. To men. I miss Brazil. My internet fell. But Brazil in 1990 was 53% and in 2020, 57%. Yeah. And we have only 12% of our public positions with women. I can give you those stats too. But anyway, my, my point of it is that um, we, had made, we have made progress, which is a good thing. And women who are educated do marry. You know, do they stay married? That's a whole other story. But uh, yeah. So do they progress. marry more than once? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but we do, what we do know is that divorce is about 50%, you know, first marriage, and it's in the 70s on second and third marriage, right? So. We don't get it right the first time, second time, or third time. So there's so something that needs to be done. So that's women or men? Women. Okay. Although men tend to remarry within three years of the relationship. This is North America stats. And women take up to seven years to remarry. 
Well, I think men need somebody to do their laundry. I was just going to joke about that. But that, was you. <laughs> that was brilliant. No, no, because that it's funny, but it's it's true. Oftentimes what happens is even in hospital, when patients get admitted, like elderly uh, uh, couples, when the female dies, the male dies quite often, uh, quite fast in the next right. uh, intervening yeah. months, uh, if not a year. Uh, the reason is, is they are often supported by the 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 wife, right? The female uh, partner, and um, that's a common thread if you look around. And even in these days, if you think about it, how many times have you had cases where uh, men are unable to even cook for themselves or take care of the kids or anything else? Because there's a lot of the household duties, or I hate to say it, but that's that's how it's been. Uh, but it's changing in certain areas. I'm sure the Swedish stats will be interesting to look at. Well, I don't know, because I I looked up to Sweden a lot because of what Tyler always said about it on Tech News Around the World. And then I read the back channel for Tech News Around the World, and it basically said that Sweden is in chaos yeah. right now. Actually, Amy, Amy is on stage. <laughs> there you go. She's much more uh, <laughs> close to that region. Well, it's a very interesting one, Dr. Francine, and I would love to hear the statistics that, that Barbara is sharing because being from the United States, living in Netherlands, it's a very, very interesting difference than when I worked in Scandinavia, right? And I do believe that when I had the time of working in Scandinavia, the women and the men were somewhat more pragmatically equal, so they took an equal role an equal active role in the life of like the family and dating and going out to dinners and raising kids, you know, so it was very interesting. However, Scandinavia and the Nordic region, like they're really low on having children, which is an interesting thing because Denmark has in the past done a little promotion and campaign to get people to fornicate and have kids because the, <laughs> the, the population is not there but yeah they, they're actually giving free di i'm from denmark originally <laughs> they give free they give free diapers for one year uh yeah. for free uh and but toys and other things and this is this is what's interesting because being an expat that's lived in several countries and being latina so this is where um guta is it Guta? Is that how I pronounce your name, Guta? Or name? Yes. Hi, ah, Hi. How are you? Good. It's an interesting thing because you now have like the cultural dynamics of the masculine and the feminine and the polarities between the man and female. And I think that polarity is what has been knocked off kilter. And when I say knocked off kilter, and I'm so this is being recorded, which is always funny, but I don't think I've ever male been... supremacy. I'll say it for I've you. always, I've always found it interesting. No, well, I found something interesting about when I moved to Netherlands to do my MBA here. Mm, I saw some really interesting experiences and dynamics between the men and the women, and uh, rightfully, uh, this is one country where the script has been flipped, and where the women are really. Mm -hmm really the ones that sort of run the roost. And in some ways, the men are also emasculated, emasculated because of it. And then they almost don't know what to do, but they know how to cook or somewhat know how to cook. They take out the garbage. Like it's like they, they do all these things. But then at the same token, I'm kind of like, are they doing it because they really are understanding how to do it for themselves? 
or are they doing it because it's what society and the culture has imposed on them by how women are so strong here in the house? Yeah, I think there's a cultural norm that has shifted in the last literally 40 years on gender equality in terms of the social norm, but the biological differences hasn't gone away. And I've done a lot of work in Netherlands, Helsinki, Stockholm, Copenhagen. And, uh, but here's what's interesting. So around work-life flexibility, they have a lot of that, right? However, when you look at correlation around corporations allowing or encouraging work-life flexibility, it has no correlation to women advancing into senior corporate. No correlation. That's an interesting thought right there. Well, let me give you the exact stats. So 80% of companies, Scandinavian companies, have work-life flexibility policies and practices. And yet, if you look at the correlation to senior management, there's no change. The average is 20%. It hasn't changed. And you can compare that to the United States that don't have work-life flexibility practices. They still have 20% of women senior management. So it doesn't correlate to that. It's really interesting. Yeah. Wow, that's very interesting, Barbara. That, so that means that even if you made it easier for women, women yep. might not even want to be in senior yep. management. Yep. Barbara, that, Barbara, that's a really fascinating statistic as well because I remember my executive director who was a woman from my MBA was very adamant about, you know, why aren't there women in senior level positions at McKinsey? You know, just an example or like or BCG, you know, like these really high power strategy consultants that charge so much money. And I find it interesting what you just stated there because it seems like it, it's not it, it's not like it can be made so is it that women is could we also assess that women just are more into doing things that they have more interest in or more passion yeah. for well thank you for bringing up mckinsey let's tackle that one because i've had many we don't meetings. like mckinsey that much but no but we, we meet we met with mckinsey um Many years ago, and they were having huge challenges in, in retaining women. But that's in consulting companies in general. All right? the consulting companies have trouble suffer. retaining. But let me women. let me give you some interesting statistic on that. So, number one reason why women leave is you heard me say this is they don't feel valued to bring their authentic self to work. Right? Oh my God! I need a high five, Barbara. Barbara, can go. I just high five? Barbara, yep. I'm a consultant. Can I just high five you? Let's, like, let's high five. Okay. High five. <laughs> there you go. Thanks. So, but listen, listen again. So, you know, Joanna Bosch, right? From, from McKinsey, right? She was a partner there and exhausted. But anyway, not feeling valued was the number one thing. And yet McKinsey and other consulting firms threw more money and more titles as these women. And yet they left, right? You know, there was a study called, where did the women go? You know, <laughs> and they assumed. Really, yeah. And they assumed that women went home. Are- they assumed that women went home and only 7% of the women that left went home, right? They either started Barbara, their own business. Have, yeah, go I ahead. Have a, I have a question for you because you just triggered something strategically. Yep. In that study, in those numbers or in that research, yep. I want to know how many of those women actually went on to do entrepreneurial stuff. Okay. so That's then what we, they do, isn't it? What they do, Barbara? Well, actually, yeah, that's why I was asking. Actually, it's between 18 and 25% that do that. Uh, the rest go to the competitor thinking that their grass is greener. Although since the pandemic, that's changed. Women have pivoted a lot, right? Anywhere between 27 to 40% of women have gone into doing something else, either 
working for nonprofits, starting their own businesses, becoming an entrepreneur or an investor, that type of thing. So that's that's fascinating. Yeah. But what we can definitely declare overall is that the culture in corporate and business sucks and doesn't work for women because it is built by men and it's built by alpha male systems Facts. over time. And that's what we know. Right. And I declare it right now in this room today that that is the breakthrough we need to create in cultures, in workplaces today, so that women and young women can thrive. Why? Because women that go on parental leave or maternity leave, get this, this is five consulting companies, 80, 80% of women that went on parental leave did not return to their original employer. Yet, 92% returned to work. Got it? Clear. There we go. Yeah. So they just chose something different. They chose something different or they went elsewhere thinking the experience of going off ramp and going off maternity leave left them with such doubt and just not feeling that they would trust that they were going to go back into the same position or, uh, you know, work in a culture that really they could thrive as a mom. Right. Barbara, so, yes. uh, do you, Barbara, another, did you have data? Oh, sorry, Amy. Sorry. Bar- let me just say one, ask one question to Barbara, because it's really fascinating because I've heard this a lot here in Holland. And the element that I'm looking at and seeing strategically in my head, is it that most of those women, before they have their baby or as they have their leave coming, they also start to feel the impact of like that, um, that toxicity of the alpha male that sort of already starts to put her out to pasture in some ways, right? I'll put a quote unquote. And then she's already kind of not going to say anything because she also knows that maybe if she does say something, it might have a negative effect. So she may just wait it out and then go somewhere else or give her notice during her maternity leave period. I couldn't have said it better. Absolutely spot on. Absolutely. Yep. You got it. Okay. So let's. let's, And also to get hired. I I had a question. Sorry. I think I was after Amy. Um, If um, Barbara, I was wondering if you have the data from Germany, uh, because I know that they have, they have mandatory leave before they have a maternity protection act of 1968. And this may be out of date, but I know that they have both uh, maternity, ample maternity leave. So they can't be discriminated against. It may be interesting to see how well it's enforced. Then they have job protection, um, for after, um, after, they have the baby and for example depending on i guess how senior you are and um and i guess what department you're in like the government the civil service has amazing policies where a friend of mine was a german civil servant and they held her job and her rank in terms of she when she came back she didn't lose ground for her promotion um and she was able to take, you know, I can't remember, it was like a year or two. So I think their their policies are a possible model to look at. Yeah. Pivoting, just pivoting for a minute to yep. Cheryl Sandberg, who just decided she doesn't want to be, you know, at Meta anymore. Um, I remember when she wrote a book called Lean In. And it was all about how women had to have a larger voice and had to, you know, work harder to make themselves noticed in the corporation. 
And then I remember when her husband died and she had to write a second book called something like Plan B because she she actually realized that once Dave was gone, it was much harder for her to lean in because she had to do all the work that that a, a single woman had to do. So yeah. that that article um, that you just put up there, Heyman, is tw- ten years old. Yeah, it is. I was just trying to transition a little bit because from the co- context, I know the yeah. lean in was a controversial issue, and there's another article talks about the controversial that she didn't understand the single mom situation because she had. Yeah, the that was the yeah. second yeah. book. That's the second one. Yeah. yeah, that was the second book. You know, Cheryl Sandberg and. And I have no real opinion on her because I only know her, you know, I've met her once and I know her at several removes from her because of her Facebook role. But she always seemed to me to be a woman who projected that she she projected absolutely knowing what she was doing. And, you know, then she ended up having to eat her words because she had the kind of life crisis that ordinary women have, which is her husband died. And that caused her to really rethink everything. And now I notice, you know, everyone's going, what was Sheryl Sandberg pushed out of Meta? Why is she leaving? Blah, blah, blah. Well, she's getting married again. And so maybe, and once again, I don't know, but maybe she's decided that, Instead of sharing this husband with a job, since she's already a million, a billionaire, um, she should like do philanthropy and give herself more flexibility. Or let's treat her like a corporate person as she is and say that she also had some hijinks that were going on in Facebook. And uh, that could have also been controversial stuff that's been going on, including her uh, like demanding a newspaper to retract some things and also some stories. I'll post that up. There's some controversial stuff that came on CNBC. Yeah, there is. Yeah. If I could just add a a thread from like an outsider looking in, I really agree with what Dr. Francine is saying, because I remember the sadness that she experienced when her husband passed away on a treadmill at 42 or 41, you know, training. I think it's really interesting that like, forget the books that she wrote, but just looking at her as a woman who had this partner who like Dr. Francine, you were saying she was in, she was engaged. I mean, she was, she was living, you know, she's doing the thing with him. She's married to him. I have something that's for both Dr. Francine and Barbara, because it's a really telling thing about Sheryl Sandberg that I don't, I'm looking at it from a different perspective, a random perspective, but maybe Dr. Francine and Barbara will see this. Sheryl Sandberg is also in some ways, the polarity of masculinity has resided in her being at Meta. And maybe now she wants to take a step back as she's already accomplished and actually go back into what she initially had begun the journey in by getting married to David, right? Maybe she's now seen both sides and has made a choice to choose for that relationship and has put herself first, remembering that her husband passed away and all that he missed because of not really being present to the things in life that a corporation can't give you. They could throw money at you. They could throw everything at you. And I I find this interesting because to... 
Andrea's point, I have a dear friend of mine who's German from Berlin who moved to the United States to better her situation from living in Germany and she's German and she will never go back to Germany again. She is actually living in Switzerland and she feels by far more balanced in the work life and the way she's treated, I guess, or valued in Switzerland versus the way she was valued in Germany. So I think it's, and, and I'm, I live in Europe, but I'm from the United States and I've lived in a couple of countries. So I do see these dynamics because there's a lot of observances from the outside. But the key is, is if someone's going to be vulnerable enough to share with you the reality and the real under the, under the hood stuff, it may not always be pleasant. It may not always be something. Now we have to look at the cultural dynamics of the person, the country they're raised in, what the background of the culture is. Are they people that speak? Are they people that are emotionally emotionally open? So I think there's a lot of nuances there. But to Barbara and Dr. Francine, with regarding Sheryl Sandberg, my question around that sits, is it possible that she's seen both sides and now she's choosing for it? Yeah, and I, I would say yes. And also... That during the, and prior to it, there's been a self reflection going on. Because it's so, I'm good, right? There, no, you're fluctuating. Uh, you're vault down. No, I'm good. To Amy's point, I think there's also a need for, depending, you know, culturally on where you are, that there's a need for um, almost like a, a retraining or alignment i don't know whether before you marry or whether it's in school but you know bring this concept back home economics andrea bring well back right well back. kind of but but you i think we got to be careful because there's also i mean depends on where you sit in the united states on the political spectrum because there is a conservative like kind of movement around family values and and that um doesn't necessarily depending on where you sit on that subject doesn't always serve women but i just think this issue about the reality of two working people or, you know, when you get together in a partnership, money and who makes more and how to balance kids and who needs to do what. And the fact that the the housework is a lot and the errands and the admin and it's not paid and it needs to be shared equally. <laughs> Andrew, just to add one thing, Harvard Business School. And when we look at a study, we try to cross-reference it at least 10 times to make sure that it's consistent. But so they did a why did women leave study and they found that 7% only 7% of women left because the work was too demanding. 87% left because they wanted to be respected, valued and work with people who walk the talk. Interesting, huh? Yes. Okay. And that, of course, is how it always should be. There is um, there is someone on stage who is a single parent lobbyist. Is it uh, um, Maya? Is that how you pronounce your name? Maha? Maha. Would you like to speak? Okay, nope. She's busy. Um, Rick, <laughs> how about you, dude? I think I cut Guta off. I'm sorry, Dr. Francine, earlier. I, I didn't mean to. I, forgive me. Oh, wait, Maya. Ah, this is Maya. Okay, Maya. Germany. Sorry, I uh, didn't know where to unmute me. Um, yes, I'm, I'm from Germany, so I thought I can contribute something about Germany uh, with respect to your earlier question. I believe 
um, if you were, if you're talking about the executive level um, in in the private sector, Germany really still sucks pretty much. Uh, still, there are really the fewest women on top of the big corporations in almost all of Europe. Yeah, so this is why I'm sure the US or Switzerland might be more interesting at that level than Germany. Um, however, at the bottom level, if you are unemployed, single mom, probably the situation is better in Germany than in the US, I, I guess. Um, when it comes to public companies, however, and uh, I can just confirm what one of the speakers said earlier, um, uh, they are really, I would say the situation is much improved. I'm working for a public institution in my, in my main job, <laughs> um, and, uh, in the board, um, we had, we moved from zero women to, uh, to, uh, to two, um, out of, I think four or five. Um, members of the board, so that's pretty good. And also at the um, at the management level, we see really an increase in uh, the share of women um, across public institutions and public uh, public companies. But it's unfortunately the private sector is not not yet there. So there's a strong disjunct uh, somehow, and this is why. The public sector in Germany is put more, much more attractive uh, for women than the private sector, I would say. Well, that is so interesting, Maya, because I, I have a friend who lives in Germany who was a lawyer in the United States. And she went over to live in Germany and teach English. And she loves it over there for women compared to how it was being a woman lawyer in the United States. So there's some, there's some, you know, grass is always greener stuff going on, you know, where, or, or maybe if things are so bad in the U S that Susan, my friend, Susan just thinks that they're better in Germany because the U S is so much worse. I mean, it depends also a little bit on your situation. I mean, uh, uh, if you are a parent, yeah, I mean, you have different problems, I guess. I guess that probably um, in the U.S. you're not kicked out only because you might get pregnant or something, or if you're, you're a mother, uh, I would say, of the top performance positions, which is really a high risk in Germany. But in Germany, on the other hand, you don't have to pay $1,000 per month for the child uh, for the kindergarten. Um, <laughs> and you have a little bit of uh, public infrastructure. Um, so I think the, the, the opportunities and problems are a little bit different. And maybe this, this is the reason. And if you don't mind me, I'm like going back to the story about the fact I just found this article on Harvard Business Study. I was I posted uh, Barbara's article earlier, um, so if you want to ever go back, it's there. Um, the question is also it's about support, right? Women being supported in their career journeys, 
And if you think about uh, bringing back to our title here, Sheryl Sandberg, her, uh, we all know that they had this relationship, the marriage relationship, where she was quite heavily supported by him. And he's the one who actually also encouraged her to take the leap into Facebook. And apparently, according to um, writings, they actually took a 60-40 uh, balance for childcare. I'm also wondering about Amber Heard, because if you think about it, her career, not to say that uh, you know, uh, she uh, used, or I don't. I don't want to make a judgment on that. Oh but my just... God, you're pivoting right to Amber. Heard. Well, both, right? Because if you think about it, right, Amber Heard. The, the, this article basically says it's basically Linda Hirschman exhorted the ambitious women to marry men with less money or social capital that they had. In an article in her book Get to Work, she told women that they should avoid ever taking on more than half the housework or childcare. How to do it? Either marry a man who is extremely committed to equality, or do what she says is e- an easier route and marry. Down, and so basically, she says, if you're devoted to your career oh. goals, you should actually make sure you find support, right? People who are supportive. You know, that's that is an interesting comment, Heyman. Thank you. Um, and I think marrying down is marrying down is what I did four out of the five times that I got married, and I, you know, I thought it was because. Um, nobody on my level or above could stand me, but it actually probably was that I was looking for support uh, from somebody who needed um, to support somebody, you know. I don't know. It's, It's quite interesting because my last husband is the only one where I didn't marry down. I either married younger than I was, or I married um, once an alcoholic. You know, I mean, I'm, I did a lot of experimenting with marriage, so <laughs> I, I can tell you. Is it you test I, ongoing, or are the results already published? Intrepid. No, the she results are intrep- in. The, the clinical trial is over. The results are published. <laughs> I don't need to be married. I, I never, I don't want to be married, and I shouldn't have been married, period. Suzanne. Did you want to say something? I sure did. I knew it. I just knew it. I hope my husband doesn't listen because he always does. He always seems to have ears of corn is what I call it, where he hears what he wants to hear. (laughs) (laughs) So, and I don't mean this with disrespect to him. I, per se, married down in age. He's four and a half years younger than I. And then in... Uh, status in our careers. At the time that I met him, he was a mortgage loan mortgage loan person, and I was an attorney. Um, and when we discussed having kids, it was always, well, one of us will stay home with the kids. And um, it was always whoever made less money. Um, then we had a, a kid, and my husband said, oh, well, he can go to daycare, which made me miserable. And so we ended up having a nanny. And after a year, I said, you know, I'm not really comfortable with, you know, somebody else raising our kids. Um, I'm going to call, you know, what we had said, that is, whoever makes less money, I make three times the amount of money that you make, thus you stay home with the kids. And he said to me, no can do. And I said, no can, yes, you do. And he said, no, no, (laughs) no can do. And I said, okay, well, and then we made a decision that I would stay home with the kids. Um, fast forward to, uh, I guess, what, four months into my staying home with the kids, uh, he actually lost his job. Um, I was pregnant at the time, so I couldn't, I didn't want to 
go and get a job because of past problems with miscarriages. Um, but we had said, okay, both of us with our financials, we can stay home, both of us, for the next five years. And after about a month, he said, no can do. And I said, no can what? And he said, no can do. I need to go back to work. You know, a man needs to work. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Um, once again, I make three times your salary. Thus, it really would behoove us that once the baby comes, I go back to work. And he said, no can do. So long story <laughs> short. And you're still married to him. I am still married to him and I'm happily married to him. So those yahoos in the audience that want to hit me up, don't hit me up, man. Don't hit me up because the only way I'm going to leave my husband is if Shushank tells me to leave my husband. In any event. Shushank, um, <laughs> okay. On Clubhouse, Arshashank? Arshashank, Shashank, yes. Arshashank, okay. Arshashank, Shashank from Clubhouse. So, you know, with joking aside, um, I think there's so many things that come into the equation. I actually was fortunate to meet Cheryl Sandberg and discuss with her a little bit about this because she and I took very different paths, right? So I threw in the towel, even though I made all sorts of money and I had made it to the executive level and I worked for, at the time, very successful company. Um, I threw in the towel um, because I decided to put family first. Cheryl and I talked about this and she said, well, she still thought that she put family first, um, albeit with a lot of assistance from her husband who then passed away and what have you. Um, but she she did it differently than I. So I think you have to do what makes sense to you. But when like uh, Heyman put up that article about, you know, <laughs> how um, the Harvard Business Review said that, you know, I do what my husband told me, I had to kind of giggle to myself and say, I know I did. So, and I don't think any less of myself. It's just the decision that I made. Suzanne and I'm done sharing. Yeah. I think we Suzanne, need to add. When you were talking, you, you, I swear it was like exactly what I went through. And the only difference is that in my case now, I regret deeply the fact that I throw the towel and I accept it to stop working, to stay home with the children, because we just like now, like I'm divorcing and the law doesn't protect us, doesn't guarantee anything, right? And then how do you restart? And it's really complicated. And Which the law? level... Uh, what? Which law? Well, I tell you, I was looking into Brazil... Okay, and Ireland, because these are the two jurisdictions that I could potentially ask for a divorce. None of them really protects you in a matter that should be, but Brazil is the worst. So I'm, I'm doing a petition here in Ireland, right? But the thing is, is Ireland a 50-50 state where, you know... It is a 50-50 state, although I had a prenup, right? That would say 80-20 if we had children. And now he's opening that. Should be a straightforward thing. He's going to court to open all the deals. To fight it. When you say open, you open mean to fight and everything. Do you mean to fight yeah, but not to open it? I know, I know, I know, but it's the law is 50-50. 
So that's the whole thing. Well, so he's but, trying to cast aside the prenup, which says eighty twenty to who? To you or to him? To uh, well, you, he wants it, to. Right? No, yeah, it's it would be eighty percent for me and the children, right? And what his claim is that the children are now adults, right? But what what he's not saying it's, for example, that one of our adults' child is vulnerable because she has a. Uh, a condition that she is vulnerable and I'm legally responsible for her, right? That's one of the aspects. And there's, I mean, it's complicated. It's do very complicated. Favor, Gouda, do me a favor and don't make this the kind of fight where the lawyers get all the money. Please. Oh, no, don't worry. Don't worry. I won't. Because I, won't. That, I just want to just to add to the complexity of all of this having been a single mom for many, many, many years, um, 67% of black moms are single. So they don't have a partner. There's no discussion of that, right? So <laughs> you can imagine how challenging that can be, right? And I know we wanted to, to also add uh, what where, where Heyman was pivoting into Amber and Johnny Depp. I think yes, we that, I'd like to reset the room first. Um, this is the Karma Club, brought to you and supported by the Karma Coin, which has now gone down to 20 cents a coin or something like that. And I would love it if you guys went to rally.io and invested in this club by buying a Karma Coin, because Clubhouse is making a bunch of changes and one of the changes that I'm thinking of making to ensure that we keep getting the kind of high quality discussions in this club that we have been is to token gate it. In other words, to make, <clears throat> make it open only to people who are, have karma coins. I'm not ready to do that just yet, but I'm thinking that the, it's such an interesting club and such an interesting room. And the topics are always serious. I cannot imagine, I haven't ever heard a discussion like this on Clubhouse before with people are actually telling their real world uh, personal experiences with being a woman, being a worker, and some of them with being married. And, and I'd like to preserve that going forward. So I'm going to do something. I, I wanted to uh, talk to Heyman about it first because he's my guy. And uh, I want to make sure that he's down with it. But I, I'm going to make something happen with this club that's going to have something more to do with the karma coin. I just don't know what or how yet, but I'm in the process of thinking it through. And I wanted all of you who come and listen to this to know about it because that's the kind of person I am. Okay, on to Amber Heard, and I will, I'll take my privilege, as Andrea says, and start out by saying, why did they waste the court's time? I know people have other feelings about that than I do. Sorry, did you say a waste of court's time? Is that what you said? I did. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, at the end of the day yesterday, um, 
Yeah, that's what Amber Heard said, that it was a setback for women. And and I actually read something that said the same thing, that it it meant that um, that if somebody defames you, it's your fault, you know, because yeah. she, wrote, she wrote an op-ed, she didn't even mention him by name. I, I have a different opinion about that. I think yeah. that there's a blind spot here that isn't being revealed, and that is that one in three women are physically abused, and one in four men are physically abused. Exactly. So, and, and Depp does not have a track record of abuse, and she does, right? She's been charged twice abusing other men and her, and her husband. So, And she's been caught in some very, very big lies, including the $7 million that she got from the divorce settlement she was going to donate, and she, and she did not. And she probably declared that she would donate it. And, and the, it was a jury trial. You know, it was a jury trial of jurors who all, both all agreed on all three counts um, of defamation. Johnny Depp won. He won $10 million and she won $2 million. So that's kind of the, but I think that no, the, the no, voice, nobody's getting anything. They're getting three fifty each. Yeah, that's right. They 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 tap the ceiling at three fifty. Yeah, but the d- jury, yeah, exactly. The end of the day, three fifty each. Yeah. Um. Anyway, my point is that I, I did probably we've had this conversation before, but I did reach out to people who have known Johnny for twenty years plus and worked with him directly and say that he, he the biggest weakness he has is that he is addicted to rescuing damaged women and um, and he financially financed not only her but her family and so on. So there's a lot more that came out there. Um, and I think that, you know, to really know that one in four men are abused, if that comes out of this, that's important to know. It's, right? it's hugely important. Right? It, it is yeah. hugely important. So, so that would be the silver lining. And knowing the founder of Me Too movement and others involved in that, they have been um, speaking up about uh, defending Depp, right? And and also sharing that you know we we're not we never meant this to be an exclusive thing, that not to you know really include men who are abused as well in the Me Too movement. So that is also shifting, which is great. So those are two two good things that is creating a bit of an awakening around, right? And then we can take it to societal, what the hell, but that's a whole other conversation, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I like people exactly. have different opinions for me. I, I really, I, I like it because you bring up things I never thought of, you know? Thanks, Francie. Appreciate it. That, that's exactly what I saw as well on this trial. There's one thing that... Men also, that's something we've been, I've been discussing before, that men also suffer situations like we do, less than us, but they do. And worse, I think that leaves very clear that the patriarchy, it's a system that is not fair for both genders, for any gender, in fact. And that's, that's where we should tackle. It's our structure, our social structure, our culture, either for men, for women, for LGBT, and everybody else. And I think in this case, we can see that, you know, because we are 
fighting against that system. But it's a system also that puts a lot of burden on the men. They have to be stoic. They have to be successful. They have to be providers. They don't cry. They... So it's something that they have to also join their forces with the women so we can change that together. I always felt that way. I, because I always felt like men were just robbed of their choices. As soon as they get out of school, they're lashed to the mass and they're, they're called providers. You know, I mean, this, yeah, this is what we, this, uh, and this is what we need to shift. We need to transform society. We need to create an awakening. We need to declare a breakdown. Like that we live in a world where there's mass shooting, where there's blame, where there's, you know, oh God, you know, it's yeah. time for us to heal, you know, create unity, create forgiveness. But you know, I think it you know, was called the, the Great yeah. Reset. It was called Build Back Better. Now it's you know healing out of COVID and yep. you know the wildfires and you know really it's a it's a quick mass pivot. We don't have time for the kind of polarization that no. there exists in America um, for sure. But I and, agree with you, Barbara. And I worry reset. about our girls. I worry about our boys. You know, I worry about the next generation. You know that we're. We're creating this, you know. How can we transform? I think there's a major crisis in leadership. I really yes. think that leaders have lost the plot. I've been saying this for a while and have been writing some stuff about it. There is, a, I think, we, we have to look to ourselves as citizens as well. But I do think something has gone awry, both in incentives for what we um, are motivated by, by marketing and advertising. It's sort of capitalism run amok, but we also have to look at ourselves and our cultural habits. Do you think a woman president would help us? Yes. Yes. I do. I think we need female leadership, authentic female leadership, not female leadership in disguise of male leadership. Right. Uh, and I think we are the peacemakers, you know, and we need to step up and, and be that and not be somebody else and wear some kind of uniform, some kind of armor, you know, it's time to really open up and be vulnerable and create this critical mass of unity and forgiveness. And sorry, I'm being really mushy, but I just, it's just the state of the affairs right now. It's just crazy. And I live with it every day because my husband is a judge in charge of 11 courts. And he's seen, you know, what's going through in the pandemic, during the pandemic, how couples, families have behaved to one another. It's, 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 crazy and it's broken barbara Ugh, sorry if you don't mind me asking one question though because i think most of the time uh, most people spend time we've already talked a lot about career work uh, balance between career and work uh, family life but most of our time we spend at work and if we notice the social norms that are changing right because there's a huge backlash about the cancel cultures the whole um the, the fact that, you know, certain companies are now fighting against their employees, standing up for certain social social issues. And today, I think Elon Musk, who, I mean, he, oh. he's a gr brilliant guy, but he, you know, he does have EQ problems, right? He, emotional, quote, I mean, emotional intelligence may not be ultimately there. But the problem is, is when you have leaders like that dictating the trends in workplaces, like, are we at a, a point in our lives that it's this pendulum is going to swing even worse in the wrong direction where women like all these issues like already the amber heard case 
Elon Musk going and chiming in about workplace stuff. He's uh, also this woke culture that's sort of did go a little bit too far, but also I'm, that's my personal opinion. But it's also I'm just also wondering, like, what kind of backlash are we going to see in the workplaces now with pushing uh, employees back to work? Maybe there's going to be silencing of their needs uh, if there's a downturn in the economy. Don't know. Well, well, I I have theories, but this is a very complex issue, so we're yeah. not not really going to get it solved. Um, Elon Musk wants all his workers, and this is way off topic, but we might as well discuss it. Um, Elon Musk wants all his workers to come back and spend at least forty hours a week in the plant. And he's used as an example the fact that he slept on the floor of the factory. At the same time, Apple made an announcement that it wanted all its employees to come back three days a week, and a lot of them either left or uh, or refused. And and then there was an announcement this morning from Ford that they are opening a unionized plant for building electric vehicles, and then it's going to bring two thousand jobs to Michigan. And my, the way that I pull all that together is to say, to say that the union, unionized plant will probably become more important um, over this down economy and the, whatever comes next, because at least the unions know how to how to bridge the gap between uh, workers and employers and settle through collective bargaining, uh, which is nothing more than negotiation, um, some of these complicated workplace issues, which are actually happening. You know, they, they just got put off because of the pandemic. So. Yeah. And to add to the conversation, I, I'm not sure that Suzanne could chime in on this. But the court, there's a, a California court overturns the law requiring women on board of directors. That just happened yesterday. That's right. Really? Yeah. Yeah. They turned it down, and that's happening around the world. There's a there's a there's a war against quotas now because they've seen the Norway oh, experiment. Oh, because of the woke culture, right? Yeah. Well, the the. Um, the Norway experiment that the government mandated there should be 40% of women on boards about eight years ago or so, uh, they called it a failed experiment. But, but what I know for a fact, because <clears throat> I know the person that led it, is that when they had more women on boards, women started asking different questions. They started digging, probing deeper, like, why are we doing this? What's happening here? What about the employees? You know, all of this. All the sexual uh, exploitation, all those cases also came to fr uh, the forefront, right? Exactly. So they called, they called the women, the Norwegian women, they called them the skunks, <laughs> believe it or not. I think they could have found a better label than that. But anyway, they found that they just dug deeper into things, you know, and things that smelled, you know, and brought it, brought it forth. But then they also framed out saying, by the way, the women who, the companies with more women on boards aren't performing better. But they didn't say the women became more transparent board members in digging deeper into things that actually weren't kosher, right? So anyway, bottom line of this, and we've had many conversations about this at Harvard Kennedy School, is that, um, that there's now an attack on not having quotas. And California is the first one in as of yesterday. Yep. 
crazy. Well, there's also something I heard, by the way, a little while long, but just to, to refer back to Guta's story, there was also kind of something uh, happening in the courts around divorce in the United States, which was kind of less generosity towards women. It was kind of swinging, the pendulum was swinging back and giving less benefits to people who had given up work to raise children. Just as an FYI. No, I don't have the data for that. Sorry. Give me a break. Give me a break. Wow. Most single moms that I know are one step up from starving. How could they be less generous? Um, never mind. I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> I want to. Uh, I want to say that I'd be interested in knowing we're doing this women under siege series, and it just seems like every week. There's more, you know, it started with the overturning of Roe versus Wade, but that seems so far in the background now. There's so many other issues that are coming up. And next week, I want to know whether we want to talk about women and money or or whether, I, want, I guess women and money is a good one because as you brought it up, um, Andrea, um, a lot of women are in very dire straits right now because of inflation, because of, you know, all of the various uh, things that are happening in the world. And they're, and they're looking for new ways to view themselves and their former marriages and their new uh, relationships there, there seems like there is a lot to discuss. So I, I think maybe we'll do women and money next week. But there's a before um, before I say that that's definitely going to be the topic, which I'll I'll put it down as the topic. But Clubhouse is making a lot of changes, a lot of changes, and at some point I want to discuss those. Maybe that's two weeks out. Because what those kind of are, changes, Dr. Francine, roughly, just to understand? Yes, roughly. That would be good to know. Yeah. Can't say. Uh, can you give uh, us a hint, like two words? Please. Uh, does oh, it you, sound well, like... Do you mean like app features? Sugar or on like top. Web 3. Or? The two words are Web 3. Okay, got it. You know, different oh, forms. Cool. Different forms. Okay, let me, let me just say different forms of creator monetization and different ways to... Um, different ways to run clubs. So what I said at the beginning about what I was thinking about doing with the Karma Club um, is something that is, is going to be discussed. All I can say is if you were thinking of leaving the app, don't. It's going to change for the better quite soon. They're doing a lot of behind the, you know, under the hood and behind the scenes changes. And, uh, and I think that's going to be good, not only for women who have had a particularly difficult, uh, time here, but for men as well, for marginalized people and, uh, and for creators who feel like they should have been able to make a living on this app, which I also will disagree with but anyway this has been the karma club 
brought to you by the Karma Coin, which is my social token that I use to help support artists. If you help support me, and I love all of you. I say it every week. Thank you for coming. It makes me feel so good to be in a room with smart people and have a discussion. Um, see you all next week. And thanks for those who we joined us from Colin as well. Thank you. Sorry, Barbara. Thank you. Thanks, Heyman. Take care. Thanks, thanks Barbara. Thank thanks, Guda. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Suzanne, Bye. Amy, Rick. Bye. Bye. Take care, all.